Good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Jeremy, or Jez for short. I'm a member here, and I have the privilege of speaking to you about um, this very relevant and important topic. There's not going to be a President Donald Trump. That's not going to happen. When America has faced those circumstances and times, we have never turned to a simplistic, self-involved gas bag of a candidate. I think that man will be president right about the time when spaceships come down filled with dinosaurs in red capes. <laughs> Donald Trump is a here today, gone tomorrow candidate. He's not going to be president. Awkward. There was a compilation, that was a compilation of statements from um, politicians and celebrities reflecting um, the view that so many people had up until quite recently, um, reflecting what was unthinkable, that Donald J. Trump would succeed Barack Obama as President of the United States. But of course, the unthinkable happened. And a businessman with no political or military experience, a man perhaps more famous for being part of reality television than political views, um, has become the one to lead America for the next four years at least. Now, Trump has always been a controversial figure, and reactions to his presidency have ranged from delight and support to fear and anger, not just in the United States, but throughout the whole world. Many wonder just what we've got in store for the next few years. So, for a man as unconventional, controversial, and now as powerful as Donald Trump, what would Jesus have to say to him? How would Jesus Christ, the most influential person who has ever lived, how would he interact with him? Let's imagine that Jesus is kind of ushered into the Oval Office as Trump sits behind his large desk and they get to have a chat. What would they speak about? Well, I certainly don't think that there would be a lack of conversation. Now, I can't possibly cover everything I think that Jesus would say, but I'm going to suggest three topics of conversation that they would have. Justice, pride, and love. Justice, pride, and love. So let's think about justice first. So the first thing I think Jesus would tell Trump is that he needs to be just. He needs to seek justice. Now we all have an idea of uh, what justice is. Um, this concept of people getting what is fair. Um, people getting what they deserve. For there to be justice... In a society, it means that there aren't double standards in how people are treated or partiality. Now, this idea of justice is a really important theme that crops, out, crops up throughout the whole Bible. So before we get to what Jesus would have to say personally, it's worth very quickly summing up um, how just, justice is considered elsewhere in the Bible. Now, the Bible says that God cares deeply about justice. Take this quote um, from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty, that's God, said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. So you'll notice that we have this definition of justice, which is simply to show mercy and compassion to each other. But straight after that, we have these certain groups of people who are mentioned. And whenever justice is talked about in the Bible, these sorts of groups of people keep cropping up. Widows, 
orphans, foreigners or immigrants, and um, the poor. And the reason for this is that these groups of people were the most vulnerable in society at the time. So if there was a famine or if there was a war, it was these people um, who were the first to suffer. And these people were always um, potentially at risk of being exploited by those who were rich and who were powerful in society. So God um, seems to particularly take up their cause time and time again. And so he shows um, that this is a core part of what justice truly is. According to the Bible... And according to the God of the Bible, a society's level of justice is measured by how it treats its most vulnerable. Now, Jesus saw the Old Testament as authoritative, and so it's not surprising to see him living out this example um, and this principle of justice himself. Jesus hung out with the most vulnerable people in society, and he gave them his time and his energy. So, for example, the Gospels report him raising the son of a poor widow. He healed lepers who were outcasts in his society because of their disease. He spoke to Samaritans who were an ethnic people group completely despised in Jesus' society. He spared time for children when his disciples saw them only as a nuisance. Jesus' life was characterized by a concern for those who everyone else had just passed over. And he gave dignity to those people who were oppressed. Now, Jesus expected his followers to be the same and to do the same. So consider these statements. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they, might, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In other words, show compassion to the vulnerable even when you don't get anything out of it. In another place, he says simply this, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Just straight out. Now, he also criticized religious hypocrisy when it came to justice. So he warns his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. Why? Well, partly because they devour widows' houses. They exploited widows. He also says this, Woe to you, Pharisees, who were religious leaders, because you give God a tenth of your mint, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So Jesus was deeply passionate about justice being practiced in the community. Given that then, um, it seems reasonable to think that if Jesus were to speak directly to Donald Trump, then this issue of justice would be very much on the agenda. After all, as president, Donald Trump is one of the most powerful men in the world and is able to influence the lives of millions of people. So I think Jesus would tell the president that he has responsibility to use his power well and to do so by championing the cause of the vulnerable. Now, when it comes to details, I have to be careful, as I don't have any authority, really, to say what Jesus would recommend in terms of specific, detailed policies, if anything. And it would also be unwise of me to claim that Jesus would give his endorsement and full support to any political party, because I don't think he would. Nevertheless, I do think Jesus would address Trump regarding certain vulnerable groups in society. So this would definitely include the poor. 
I think Jesus would tell Trump to spend his time focused on getting the poor and needy in America the resources that they need, whether that's jobs or healthcare or other services. I think Trump would be challenged to tackle issues such as racial injustice, as various minority groups are vulnerable in the US for a whole host of different reasons. I think Jesus would tell Trump to be sacrificial in looking out for those who are needy, and in terms of how he prioritizes policies, to prioritize those that look out for these people first, rather than prioritizing policies that just benefit the rich and the powerful, and those who could pay him back in some way. I think the issue of how refugees and immigrants are treated would be addressed too. You'll remember in that quote from Zechariah, foreigners and immigrants, that was one of the categories of vulnerable people in the Old Testament. And it's the same today. Foreigners can easily be mistreated. They can easily be um, dealt with unjustly. So Jesus would call on Trump to deal with them compassionately and fairly. So now some of you may have picked up on the tagline, America first. This is a, a phrase that Trump used during his inauguration speech. Now, there's been quite a bit of controversy surrounding that phrase and what it might mean and what it might not mean. I think Jesus would say that whatever Trump means by America first, it should not mean America only. Of course, Trump's priority is the welfare of American citizens, but that doesn't mean it stops there. Particularly when it comes to refugees. Whatever the processes or quotas or details, it seems clear that Jesus would advocate some stance of mercy towards those who are fleeing persecution from their home countries, particularly countries like Syria. Such people, okay, they're not American citizens, but they are nevertheless people made in the image of God and in need of mercy from people who are willing to be good neighbors to them. Be just. So secondly then, after saying be just, I think Jesus would tell Donald Trump something regarding pride, that is, to be humble or to renounce pride. Now, um, we all know that pride is a big part of Trump's persona, his public persona at least. Uh, many of you will be familiar with the classic Trump formula, nobody does X better than me. So we have, for example, things he said, including nobody stronger than me. Nobody builds walls better than me. Nobody's better to people with disabilities than me. There's nobody that's done so much for equality as I have. There's nobody more conservative than me. There's nobody that respects women more than I do. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Now, some of those are pretty bold statements, pretty massive statements to make. Now, however we're meant to interpret those statements, the overall message being interpreted uh, or being communicated is clear, isn't it? You don't have to worry. Trump is strong. Trump is successful. Trump has all the answers and doesn't need anybody else. There's a, a clear note of pride that runs through many of the things he says. And this public show of strength is matched by a consistent refusal to back down or apologize Throughout his presidential campaign, Trump was surrounded by controversy, in part due to remarks he had made about numerous people or groups. He insulted, amongst others, 
Muslim parents of a dead US soldier, a disabled journalist, a female news reporter, a Vietnam prisoner of war veteran, as well as making more general comment, comments about Mexicans, Muslims, and women that caused lots of offense. Now, many of these cases brought widespread criticism from across the political spectrum. Um, and many people considered these statements vulgar, racist, misogynistic, and just cruel and vindictive. But for the vast majority of cases, Trump never apologized or even tried to clarify what he meant to kind of clear up any misunderstandings. And the, the one key time he did apologize, which was regarding comments he'd made about groping women some years ago, as soon as he did so, in his public statement, he went straight on to accuse Bill and Hillary Clinton of basically being worse than him, a move that led many people to sort of question how sincere that apology was in the first place. Trump does not like to back down. And this, is, this isn't just regarding his public policy. It also extends to his personal life and spirituality as well. Donald Trump has, um, on numerous occasions, identified himself as a Christian. And when questioned about whether he had ever asked God for forgiveness, his answer was as follows. I'm not sure I have. I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I don't think so. When I drink my little wine and have my little cracker, I guess that is a form of asking for forgiveness. And I do that as often as possible because I feel cleansed. Now, another interviewer um, followed up on this answer and asked him to clarify. And he said this, why do I have to repent or ask for forgiveness if I am not making mistakes? I work hard. I'm an honorable person. What would Jesus make of all this then? Well, in Luke's gospel, um, Jesus tells a parable, which is like a kind of fable or story about two men. One is a Pharisee, and the other is a tax collector. Now, Pharisees um, were the Jewish religious leaders. So in Jesus' society, the Pharisees had lots of power and prestige and respect and authority. They knew and understood the Bible. They were the ones you'd go to in order to learn how to live a righteous life. They were the moral people. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were probably considered the lowest of the low. See, they collected taxes not for the Jewish authorities, but for the occupying Romans. So they were considered traitors from the get-go. Not only this, they were often rich, but they got their riches through exploiting people, charging more than they need to, and being extortionate. So in the minds of many, tax collectors were kind of like the scum of the earth. So in the parable, Jesus says that both these men, the tax collector and the Pharisee, go up to pray at the temple. And the Pharisee says this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. What about the tax collector? Well, Jesus says this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Listen to Jesus' conclusion. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
Now, this parable would have been shocking to those who first heard it, because surely the upright Pharisee is the one who is accepted or justified by God. But that's not the case. According to Jesus, it's this dirtbag tax collector who's accepted, and the Pharisee is rejected. So how on earth did that happen? What is it that this tax collector gets right that the Pharisee doesn't? Well, it's a question of humility, isn't it? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. But what exactly is this humility? Well, it's there in the tax collector's words, God have mercy on me, a sinner. This this tax collector is humble enough to admit that before God, he is a sinner and needs mercy. He's not proud like the Pharisee. He knows he's guilty of evil things and that he can't make everything right by himself. The Pharisee, on the other hand, kind of thinks he's great and praises himself um, before God, sneers at others, you'll notice, and doesn't seem to think he needs forgiveness. So he doesn't think he's a sinner. Now, in our culture, we don't really use the word sin that much, do we? Um, Sin is a word that we reserve for either naming club nights or marketing chocolate ice cream. But when Jesus talks about sin, he describes it as an uncleanness which comes out from within our hearts. Here are some examples of of sin that Jesus uses elsewhere in the Gospels. He talks about greed, arrogance, sexual immorality, slander, malice, evil thoughts. Now Jesus, throughout his ministry, maintained that everyone is a sinner, Pharisee and tax collector alike. And needs to repent, which means to ask for forgiveness and renounce our sin. So that's precisely why Trump was questioned about whether he'd ever asked God for forgiveness. It's absolutely fundamental to the Christian faith. For Jesus, it's a baseline assumption that people are sinners and desperately need forgiveness. So I think Jesus would say this to Trump regarding pride. Donald Trump, don't exalt yourself. Humble yourself and renounce your pride, or it will destroy you. You are not as strong or as honorable as you think you are. You are a sinner, and you do need forgiveness. So take ownership of what you've done and turn away from your sin. So we've talked about justice and uh, pride. Finally, the main thing I think Jesus would say to Donald Trump would be regarding love, and it's simply this. He would say, I love you. Now, there are many people who um, don't love Donald Trump. Um, There are lots of people who don't have any positive feelings towards him at all. In fact, there are many people who hate him. And this goes way beyond fair and measured criticism regarding his actions or his policies. He's simply despised. So much so, it's culturally acceptable to hate him. I recently um, read a blog post for a graphic design business that someone I know set up in Manchester. And for their website, they were doing a a kind of a biography page where they were introducing members of their staff. And um, there were a couple of biographies that read as follows. Job title. Creative director. Hobbies. Music, Pokemon Go, and traveling. Pet hates. Unindented code, that's web code, and Donald Trump. 
Another one from the same page. Job title, digital graphic designer. Hobbies, indie, funk, electronic music, and going to gigs. Pet hates, Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, and Donald Trump. In that order? I don't, I don't know. It's open season on Trump, isn't it? We mock his hair, we mock his face, we mock his small hands. We love to have a go at him. Some of us will think, well, you know, he deserves it. He deserves it. And who knows, maybe he does. Maybe he is sneer-worthy. But Jesus, although he held people to a very high standard, was never one to sneer, not even at the sneer-worthy. Luke's Gospel tells us about another tax collector, a man called Zacchaeus, who had an encounter with Jesus. Uh, here's how the episode is described. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. So remember, he's a traitor, he's an exploiter, um, rich and repulsive. Not only that, he's a little bit pathetic too. So he's kind of so short, he has to kind of climb a tree just to see, um, just to see Jesus. So there's plenty to sort of mock him for, um, lots to sneer at. Listen to what happens next, though. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So Jesus sees Zacchaeus and goes to eat with him, and the result is that the people are all scandalized. Why is Jesus hanging out with him? But the answer comes at the end of this episode in Luke's Gospel, where Jesus tells us this. Today, salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So the people were shocked that Jesus would give someone like Zacchaeus the time of day. But for Jesus, this was what it was all about. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. He wanted to find sinners and save them, make them acceptable before God and offer them forgiveness. That was why he was here. Throughout his ministry, um, Jesus described himself as the divine son of God, having existed for all eternity. He knew true privilege and power and yet chose to make himself vulnerable and come to earth as a human in order to deal with our sin. He died on a cross, taking the cost for sins on himself before rising again on the third day. Now, Jesus didn't have to do any of this, but he chose to because he loves humanity, even despite our sin. His heart is inclined towards those who are messed up, despite all the baggage and brokenness they carry, and he forgives those who repent and turn away from their sin. Rather than sneer at the sneer-worthy, Jesus dies for them and offers them forgiveness. 
Now, there's something about this that's always going to be naturally offensive to us. We just don't like the idea of Jesus loving the, the unlovable. And that's why people grumbled when he went to eat with Zacchaeus. But Jesus always scandalizes the self-righteous. We saw earlier that Trump has a bit of a Pharisee attitude. He kind of thinks highly of himself whilst looking down on other people. But the danger is that whilst we look down on Trump, we become the same thing, we become guilty of the same thing. And so Jesus confronts all of us and our inner Pharisee. Emma Scrivener, a um, friend of mine, is a blogger who wrote a post entitled 10 Ways I'm Like Donald Trump. She starts her post like this. I dislike everything he stands for, and I'd happily campaign against him. But instead of just condemning his policies or his words, I find myself condemning him and enjoying it. He makes me feel shocked, but I like being shocked, and I want to see more because I want to reinforce how much better I am than he is, how much more educated, smarter, kinder, better. I'm better than he is, I think. I would never speak his words or do what he does. And yet, and then she gives her list of ways she's like Trump, and here are five of them. And yet, he wants to build a wall to keep people out. He's proud of things that he should be ashamed of. When he gets caught, he then becomes ashamed, but it didn't really bother him before. He puts people down to lift himself up. And he thinks he should be the most important person in the world. Maybe we aren't so different from Trump after all. But the good news is, Jesus never sneers. And in that Oval Office, the words he would say to Trump, he says to us too. So he says this, You may be a sinner, but despite that, I love you. And I came to seek people who are just like you. I have died and risen again for you. Renounce your sin and come to me, and I'll give you forgiveness. And even more than that, true life. Let me just finish with a word of prayer. Father God, we pray for President Trump. We pray that he would act justly as president and he would seek justice, particularly for those who are vulnerable. We pray that he would renounce his pride and we pray, Lord, that he would take ownership of his wrongs. But we also pray, Lord, for him and for all of us that we would know that your son Jesus loves us and we pray that he and all of us would come to Jesus to receive forgiveness and new life if we don't have it already. In Jesus' name, amen.